So this morning, uh, we are going to continue our study in the book of Matthew. You can turn to Matthew chapter 21. It's great to have all of you here today. Uh, If you were to draw a picture of Jesus, uh, let's assume you're an artist. Let's assume that, and uh, that may be a huge assumption for most of us. But if you could picture Jesus, and, and you could draw a picture of Him, what would it look like? And, and, and not just, you know, what color would his skin be or what color would his hair be, or, but what would his facial expression be? Uh, what would he be doing? Uh, what would uh, his face reveal, his eyes reveal about himself? Like, what would, what would he be about? This morning, we're going to look at a passage that maybe will, will twist in your mind uh, what it is, who Jesus is, that will bring it more in line. And, and, and for us, some of us, we picture Jesus as kind of uh, this happy-go-lucky, you know, nothing bothers him. He, he kind of prances up and down like Peter Pan or something like that with a wand, and he kind of goes around blessing people and giving them what they want. This passage that we're going to look about at this morning is maybe totally different than our picture of Jesus. And it shows him to be a man, uh, a king, a king that uh, has displeasure. And it, it's calculated, but anger is represented in the passage here this morning. So in Matthew chapter 21, I'd like to read to you, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd, I'd like to read to you from verse 12. Uh, on through the passage. And Jesus entered the temple and drove, and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeon, pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came came to into the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you not read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out into the city of Bethany and lodged there. God, I ask your blessing on our time as we look at your word. We realize that uh, we have thoughts of you that are untrue. And so we ask that you would remove them. We ask that we would hear from your word, your spirit working in us. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, uh, if you were here last week, we looked at um, the the previous passage was Jesus entering into the city. And you you remember he was on a donkey and they they took their coats off and some for the the donkey themselves and and then before him and they took down branches and there was this huge uh, impromptu parade for Jesus, the victor. And, and as he comes into the city with this victory parade, he stirs up the city and the crowd uh, it 
comes to the conclusion, they say, who, who is this? And the crowd's answer is, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. So you see him coming in as a king. They acknowledge that he's a prophet. And today, we're looking at him entering into the temple. Entering into the temple. Um, Jesus, the last scene, he stirs up the city. He stirs up the city. Today, he's going to stir up the temple. He's going to stir up the temple. And not just stir up the temple, but stir up the religious leaders in response to what he does in the temple. As we look at this this morning, looking down at verse 12, it says something, and most of you are familiar with this passage. Uh, Most title this, The Cleansing of the Temple, or Jesus Cleanses the Temple. It says that Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables and money changers, the seat of those who sold pigeons. If, I, if you could picture with me this afternoon, I don't know, what, what are you doing this afternoon, by the way? Lunch. Got any big plans? Nap time. Hoping for a nap time. Uh, sometimes that's a fail on Sunday afternoon. You know, if you have small kids, maybe those nap times don't go as well as you'd like them to. But... Just picture me showing up at your house this afternoon, and I just walk right in. I just walk right in. Uh, that would be creepy enough in and of itself, right, if I showed up. But, it, but if I showed up at your house, and I just entered your house, I entered your living room and what you were doing, and I, I, I looked at your couch, and I said, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Some of you would cheer because you're going, oh, are we getting a new couch? Uh, but no, if I just said, I didn't like it, get rid of it. And then I looked at some of your pictures, maybe some that have been, and I said, we've got to get rid of that too. And in fact, in fact, I took some of them and I broke them and I threw them out the window. Maybe I went into your kitchen and I, I looked at some of your dishes and I said, get rid of these too. And, and, and this, this drive inside of you would say, who do you think you are? What are you doing with my stuff? I believe that uh, in a much greater way, this is what Jesus did in the temple. Him entering in the temple was not just a walking through the door. It wasn't just a simple, uh, his presence was there and he started to change things. But he walked in as if he owned the place. He walked in, it doesn't say anywhere that he checked in with the chief priests and the scribes and said, is it okay if I make a few changes here? But he walks in as if he has authority over all. And he starts driving out, driving out the money changers and those who are selling animals. What a picture. What a picture that must have been. You can imagine, we are not the temple here today, but you, you can imagine what that would look like if Jesus did that here this morning. And not just that he came in and wanted to make a few adjustments, but he looked at what was going wrong or going on and rejected it. Said it's wrong here. It needs to change. It makes me angry. And pushes it out the door. It says that he drove out uh, the money changers and that he he tipped over these tables and the those who were selling animals. And you get this picture. Uh, you got to ask the question, was Jesus so intimidating? Was he so powerful? Did he, did he have strong muscles? Did the look on his face, did nobody want to mess with him? But how did that happen? How did he clear out 
this whole area in the temple, this outer, outer area in the temple. How did he do this? Well, I have to believe that when they saw the look on his face and they realized what they were doing, they connected the dots and said, oh, no, it's got a point. What we're doing is, is wrong. And so, you know, they, they probably stood back as he went about what he was doing. Most of the time we don't think of Jesus like that, right? We think that as he enters our life, as he enters our church, as he enters our family, our marriages, that it's bless my mess, right? It's that Jesus is coming to grant me what I want in this scenario. And yet Jesus rolls into his temple and he says it's all wrong what you're doing here and drives them out. As you consider this, uh, you realize that there, there was a legitimacy to what they were doing. Uh, the exchanging of currency was needed because people were coming from different places that had different currency. And so there, there was a function to that. There was a necessity to that. The idea of the animals that were going to be sacrificed, that they would have a place. It, it wouldn't have been appropriate to travel with animals. And so uh, in their minds, they were probably saying, I'm, I'm a service business. I, I, I'm doing something that's a benefit to the people around them. Though Jesus, as he makes uh, his comments, he doesn't say it's not a legitimate business, but he says the way they're treating it is they're robbing people. And so you get this picture of Jesus' anger coming to the place where he is in charge. He, he acknowledges, even as he treats it, is mine. This is mine. Um, as he comes and he enters the temple. I want you to think about um, I want you to think about your life the the different areas of your life you have uh, your your marriage you, you might have your family you might have your school you, you might have a, a occupation that you have you might think of this church here and, and to ask the question what would Jesus think of my church what would Jesus think of my marriage what would Jesus want to change about the way I uh, go about my schooling and how I, I, I live that out there. What would Jesus want to reorder? What would cause him anger in these different areas of our life? So Jesus enters the temple. He doesn't just enter the temple. And not that uh, it's not funny to me, but uh, Jesus didn't need to say anything. I think they got his point. Uh, I, I think it was... Uh, 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 when he started turning over tables and running people out I, I think everybody knew what Jesus wanted for the temple but he, he, we, he has some words with that that he shares it's his message his message and if you look down uh, in verse 13 you see this uh, verse 12 says but the, then he goes on he, he runs them out Verse 13 says this, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And then in verse 14, And the, and the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and, and he healed them. You really see three things that Jesus thinks about the temple. First of all, it's not a place for, for, 
for these robbers, these people. It's not the, the, the venue for them to do business and business in that sort of way. This is not what he wants for the temple. But what he does want, we see two things. One is spoken and the other is shown. The first one that's spoken is he says, it should be a house of prayer, a house of prayer. We realize that the, in the New Testament, we have the temple and then the temple, we go really from the temple worship to the idea of the church body, the church body. And there are some distinct differences in, in that. We won't go through those this morning. But I, I want you to get this, this one piece. As they were gathering at the temple, he gives one key element of the purpose of the temple is that prayer was to go on there. It's this idea, and what is prayer? It's the connection or the, the sharing of our thoughts with a holy God. It's that we are working in relationship with the God of the universe, that we connect with Him, that we can bring our cares and our worship before Him in prayer. You think about that and you go, man, what's greater than that? And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, this is primary, your relationship with my Father. This is the purpose of the temple. There's not another purpose. This is not just a meeting place. This is not an area of commerce. This is not just a community. It's the idea that we meet so that we can connect with the Father. And re really, in a greater way, in the temple. In the New Testament, as we go on from here, we see... Uh, we're even called the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there's an intimacy with that. And, and he's pointing that this is what's important. This is what's important. It's not about the business that could go on. It's not about what the chief priests and scribes had set up. It's about that you as individuals would connect to the Holy God. House of prayer. The second thing he shows them is this. He goes right from there, this house of prayer idea. It says that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He healed them. So there is some things that are supposed to go on, right? We know house of prayer, that's a good thing. But the second thing that went on right after he kicked all those animals and people, and uh, what else happened? Healing, healing. You, you get two things that happen. You, you, you see prayer has to happen and healing has to happen. And, and this is the picture. He shows them, he shows them that he's the one. He's the one. They come to him for healing and he's the only one who can do it. He's the only one. I think about this and I think about uh, what this means for us today, especially the healing part of it, house of prayer and house of healing. Uh it's interesting, uh, we go to doctors, and some of you have been to a lot of doctors. You're, you're good at it. You're good at going to doctors. You've made a lot of trips down the hill, and you, you've gone to this specialist or that specialist. Jesus, uh, one interesting thing about Jesus as we study the book of Matthew is that he was the only one that worked. He was the only one who, who was king over health. He was also king over spiritual things. He was also king over our finances. You know, he loaves and fishes. He was king over everything, but he showed himself to be king over all. 
And I'm not saying this isn't a health wealth message that says, hey, if you have any uh, physical problems, come to Jesus and he'll heal you and he'll give you anything you want. All I want to point out to you is this, that the healing of Jesus, that what he does in our lives, this is what draws us together. That our hurts and pains of this life, we cry out to him for those things. And he's the place, so, so you have prayer, relationship with God, and you have healing, the, the things that, that ail us today. I, I know that for a lot of you, there's a lot of things that are going on right now. You're struggling with your kids, raising your kids. You, you're struggling with, with, with finances, or, or there are some health issues, and, and you're looking to the future, and it's making you nervous and, and anxious, and your thoughts are getting away from you. All I want to tell you is this. That Jesus pushes all that stuff aside and he says, My, when we gather, it's all about a house of prayer, a time of healing. You see that Jesus sets up a, a, a new way for his temple. As we look at this, we see the responses. We see the responses of the children and the religious leaders. And I love it. I love it. So uh, this happens, and, and Matthew helps us through the inspiration of God. He gives a, a really a verdict of how, how this was going. If you look down at verse 15, it says, when the, uh, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. So they saw wonderful things. They saw wonderful things. I, I struggle with this because the chief priests, and I realize that they are the villains in the book of Matthew. They are the villains, and rightfully so. You can imagine um, that uh, who, who should have been in charge of the temple? Chief priests, scribes. They were the ones who met. They were the ones who set things up. They were the ones that had the rules. They were the ones who said who could come and sell and who couldn't come and sell. They were the ones who set up the schedule. And we have no place that it records that Jesus checked in with them before he came into the temple. He says, ah, I'm here. Is it okay if I do some things? He didn't check in. Why? Because he had authority over the temple. He had authority. They were the chief priests. He was the great high priest. He was the one overall. He outranked them. But it wasn't just that. The reason, so, so they saw this going on, and they saw their power slipping through their fingers. They saw what they wanted to do was being dismantled for what Jesus wanted for his temple. As you look at this, it's awful because they saw wonderful things. They saw him healing. They saw him setting the temple in order. And instead of rejoicing at the wonderful things of Jesus, repenting and saying, oh, we did it all wrong. We did it all wrong. It says they became indignant. They were angry at Jesus. They were angry at Jesus. I, I, I look at this and I, I want us to see this. That way. So Jesus was angry about what was going on. They were angry at Jesus. Um, I want to I want to stop right now and just insert this. Um, 
There are areas where we have authority, all of us, to some degree. It may just be your bedroom, okay? It might not even be that. It might be your side of the room, okay? Uh, you have authority. It's yours. It's yours to do with whatever you want. Uh, you, you have areas of authority. Some of you might be very powerful people. Uh, you lead a family or uh, you're older and you lead a family, an extended family. You might be a business owner, a boss of some sort. You might have authority over an area. Uh, you might be a pastor in a church. And uh, to some degree, people look to you for leadership. And so, so you look at that and you say, so I get what I want. I get what I want. I just want to uh, tell you, what happens when you don't get what you want? Uh, how does that work out for you? What is your response? When this is a classic scene of Jesus, things are going on. Things are going on. And they're going on the way they've been going on for months and years and maybe years upon that. Things are going on the way everyone thought they were. They were going as planned. And Jesus sticks the broom handle in the wheel of progress and says, we're not going to do this anymore and kind of blows it up. What's your response when Jesus blows up your plans? Uh, what if... Uh, what happens to you when through the circumstance of life which he is over and you say well I didn't plan it this way what happens then the chief priests I'll tell you what happened to them they saw wonderful things and they got angry at Jesus they saw the plan of God working out before their very eyes and they got mad why because it wasn't their plan they didn't get what they wanted they had it set up the way they wanted it and Jesus came in and just blew it up before their very eyes. I want to tell you that that's one response to Jesus. You say, I don't want him. I don't like it. Next to the chief priests and scribes, you have the children. You have the children. What was their response to seeing what was going on? Uh, I don't know if they were just excited. I don't know if one kid got it and they started chanting. And so all the kids started chanting. It could have happened. could happen at the surprise box even, you know. And what do they say? Uh, it, it says of these children that they uh, were in the temple and they were crying out to him saying, Hosanna to the son of David. It was the cry of the parade. Maybe some of them had been at the parade and they put it all together and they realized that yeah, he's the one. Hosanna, this is what they were crying out. And Hosanna being that prayer praise, cry out, God save us. And, and really the connection to Jesus is being, you're the one who can save us. We know you're the one. It's, a, it's praising him because he is the one that can save. The son of David, they're acknowledging that he is the one, the Messiah. Well, the scribes and, or the chief priests and the scribes, what, they hear that. They hear these children saying that. And they go, Jesus, don't you hear what they're saying? And what, what the chief priests are implying there is, stop them. Quit letting them talk about you that way. You're not that. You're not the one that can save. You're not the son of David, the one that is to come. You're not the one. And Jesus' response says, the kids are right. I am the one. 
he says of, uh, he, he connects to the book of Psalms, which is spoken of prior, saying this. And you, you look down at it, and verse 16, it says, Yes, have you not read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? He connects it and he says, This is a good thing. This is correct. This is part of the plan of God. It's their role. It's their role. I find that interesting. Um, maybe you've been in situations where you, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. Uh, some of you, that's a sporting event, right? And you, you don't really understand how it's going. It's kind of like golf. Golf's a hard sport to watch. I don't know if you've had that. Because you're supposed to be quiet at some times, but you're also supposed to cheer at others, but you shouldn't cheer too much. It's kind of like, Maybe that was even a little too loud. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, you go to other sporting events. Uh, I, I've been to baseball games, and, you know, baseball is kind of like watching paint dry like uh, for some portions of the game. But then exciting things happen, and uh, there's this classic moment where the crowd erupts, and some people weren't paying attention. go, what happened? What happened? And uh, Just cheer. Okay, I'm cheering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you, then, and then there's like a hockey game where you're just yelling and you can start punching the person next to you. It's all part of the hockey game, you know. Uh, you know, it doesn't have, you know. My sister, uh, she used to work at a nursery school and, uh, in, in Detroit. And um, there were some, uh, there's this, they're out, they're out on the playground during those minutes. And there's this little kid, he's three and, He's just wailing on this other kid. He's just swinging like this. And, and she grabs him and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm playing hockey. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to know what we're supposed to do, what, where it is. And so we're looking to people who know what's going on. And we're, we're saying, what are you doing? Um, the chief priests were that in the temple. Uh, the chief priest, what, what the chief priest says goes. And so they look to the chief priest and they're mad at Jesus. But the children, but the children, it's another children's passage. The book of Matthew, it comes out over and over again. Where we're to look to the children. The chief priests should have been saying, this is the one. This is the Messiah. But who was saying this is the Messiah? The children. I want to tell you, uh, the chief priests had a problem with Jesus' authority. They were mad that Jesus was taking their authority. I want to give you, for this passage this morning, three takeaways uh, as we conclude our time. The first one is this. Worship trumps business. Worship trumps business. Sometimes we think uh, that the idea of worshiping Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with Him, through Him with the Father, is just something I do. I want to tell you, it is not something you do. It's more important than any business you're ever going to be a part of. There's nothing more important than that. Nothing. Worship trumps business. They thought that they had a legitimate business and they were just going about their job and Jesus came in and He shoved it all aside and says, look, it's about worship. About relationship uh, with a holy God. Second thing, the second takeaway I want, want us to get this morning, and it's more of a warning. 
If you are proud, Jesus will challenge your position. If you're proud, Jesus will challenge your position. The chief priests weren't calling for Jesus to come consult with them in the temple. They didn't want his input. Uh, they didn't want his authority. They didn't want his advice. They were proud. They, they knew what they were supposed to be doing, and they were doing it. They didn't need any input. Jesus came in and blew it up before their very eyes. And I want to tell you, this is... This is the heart of the Father in the Son. This is our relationship with God. It says in First Peter, it says in James, it says in Proverbs that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and you get this picture that Jesus went from being a king on the road to a king in the temple, really the high priest in the temple, the great high priest. That he showed his authority on the road as a king, a victorious king. He showed his authority in the temple over them. And I, I, I want to warn you, if you're proud, if you're proud, Jesus will come and he'll, he'll challenge your position. That you think you're the greatest, that you think you've got things under control. He'll challenge that position. Thirdly, Jesus is the authority in worship and in everything, and in everything. Jesus is the authority in worship and in everything. You know why Jesus didn't ask for permission? Because he was over everyone in the temple. It's his place. It was his position of authority. And as you think about the different places of your life, I've already made the point here this morning. We are, th this building is not the temple. Um, but I want to ask you, I just want to remind you, Jesus has authority here. It's not me, it's not you. It's not popular vote. Jesus has authority here. And, and knowing that, we should go, what does Jesus want here on Sunday morning? What, what does he want for our schedule here? What does he... How, how does he want us to, to sing? How does he want us to remember uh, what he has done in this table? How, what does Jesus want? You know what those chief priests should have said that day when Jesus came in there? Thank you. Thank you. We're sorry. We missed the mark. We, we want to do it your way, not our way. Because so, Jesus has authority over worship and everything else. You know what? Jesus has authority over your job, your job. You might have a boss. You might have a bunch of bosses. Everyone might be your boss, right? But at that job, at that job, Jesus has authority. And for you to think through, what does Jesus want here today? I, I want to tell you, Jesus has authority over uh, your home as well. Especially for you men. Some of you think, this is my castle. I get what I want here. No, you don't. No, you don't. Neither does your wife either. I, I didn't save this one for Mother's Day, right? Obviously, get here early. Mom, uh, hey, you can demand everything you want, but, but set that aside and say, what does Jesus want for our home? How does he want this to run here? What, what, what is, how does it look? How, what's our schedule? What, what are the things that are important? What are the things that aren't important? Because everything can't be important. Did you know that? 
Because if everything's important, nothing's important and nothing gets done and everyone gets frustrated. I speak from experience. Um, Jesus, Jesus is the authority. You know what he, he's also the authority over? Your computer. Your computer. And, and the most powerful thing that you can do with your computer is the on-off button. If it's off, it's not going to do anything. You just say, put it in its place. What you're looking at. He's king over it. He's king over it. The time you're spending. How, how it makes you feel and how important it makes you. Like, he's king. He's king. He has authority over that. You know what? He also has authority over your bedroom. You think that what goes on in there is private. It, it is to everyone except for him. Because he's the king. He has authority. He's king over your school too. It may not look like it to you, but he, as, as you being his subject at school, he's king over you. He's king over everything. Everything. And for us to remember that that same king that rode in for the parade, he marched right into the center of the city in the temple, and he says, you know what, I'm king over here too. I'm a great high priest. I, I am the one that has authority over here. For us to remember that, it's critical. It's critical that we would live in right relationship with Him. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank You for this morning. I thank You for the blessing of being with Your people. God, I ask that You would remind us of this critical point for us, that we have a King. We have a King who is a victor. He's a prophet, but He's also over the, the temple.